seated. I'd like to thank our worship team for bringing us a little taste of heaven. We'll be singing with the voices of thousands and thousands upon thousands. This is just a little taste. Today's message comes to us from Malachi chapter 3. We've been working through the book of Malachi. And before I jump right into the text, because it's a difficult text, it's on, on tithing and offering, I want to ask, is anyone blessed? Can anyone in the church say, I am blessed? So I only got a few answers, but we had some there. And if we're going to talk about tithing and offering, I mean, we have to come from a place where we realize that we're blessed. Because sometimes we say, well, you know, when I make it, when I get that promotion, you know, when, I get, when they give me that bonus of those stock options, you know, when I make it, when I win the lottery, it's like, okay, I, then I'll be able to give. And sometimes we don't realize that we're blessed. So before we jump into Malachi in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, I'm going to take you a little further back in the Old Testament because I want to convince you that you're blessed. And maybe I get a better response next time I ask you that question. We're going to jump into Job chapter 1. And we're going to read some verse. Now, Job was a rich, 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 rich man. If we understand the Old Testament times, agricultural society, your wealth was not based on your, your stock funds or your cryptocurrency or a number of jet planes, Maseratis, and those other things. It was measured by the size of your household. It was how much livestock you had, how many servants you had to take care of all that livestock, how many children you had, because children were a blessing and inheritance from the Lord. So this is how they measured wealth. And in those guidelines, by those standards, Job was a wealthy, wealthy man. So let's pick up in verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to the Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside him. He had lots of livestock. He was rich. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have come to escape to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters, eating and drinking while in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord give, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know how many of us could react that way on our most worst very bad day. This was a wealthy man, and in one day he lost almost everything that he had. He still had his life. He still had his wife. He had enough breath to praise the Lord and bless the Lord. So on the day that we lose everything, will we still say, hey, I am blessed, as Job did? I've got a chart here 
that it maybe only applies to me, so I'll speak from my perspective, but I'll say we if you agree this applies to some of us. This is the blessing versus thankfulness chart. And as time goes on, or sometimes the situation warrants, we're all the way here on the right side of the chart. We need a lot of blessings to feel that we're blessed so that we can be thankful. We need that raise. We need that promotion. We need those stock options. We need all of that. And then we can sit down and say, yes, I'm thankful. The tradition of my family is we get together at Thanksgiving and we have a time, you know, and if you want to try this, I'd say between the meal and dessert, give it time to settle, not before the meal, because people are like, hey, can we eat? But we take a time to say, hey, what are we thankful for in our lives? And many of times, often, we only think back to the past year. You know, we think of the year in review, think of some of the things we're thankful for. And it may be that new job. It may be... You know, maybe that couple that is the first time hosting the Thanksgiving say, hey, we're thankful for this house and we could have all of you gather there. You know, when we think of some of these big things, we're out here on the right side of this chart. You know, we're thinking of the big things that we're thankful for. If you continue going around the table, you know, especially these two years we've had with COVID, somebody may say, hey, I'm thankful that although we had COVID, we recovered. Or thankful we didn't get it. Or maybe someone in the family did get it and say, well, we're thankful we were at least able to be there with them before they pass away. Then pass away alone by themselves. You know, we start getting real. But the children, is like when you finally get to the kids' table, they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say and be thankful for. I don't have a job. I don't have, you know, all these things. And one of them might just say, hey, I'm thankful for mom. What a blessing. You know, that's that's getting on to the left side of the chart. Little things. It's thankful for mom. Because now the next little one is like, well, I was going to say that. <laughs> and so it's like they just put their head down and look in front of them and see the mac and cheese. They, I'm thankful for mac and cheese. But you know what? That's all right. Because there's a commercial that I see on TV from time to time called Feed the Children. And this is filmed at a help center in Niger, West Africa. And these mothers bring their children in. Children are two years old or older, but they can't walk. The mothers have to carry, carry them for miles to get to this help center because the children are malnutritioned. They need food. They need medicine, you know. If we need food or medicine, we just go down the Highway 6 and turn left or right. Which is closer, CVS or Walgreens? Or they even have pharmacy in all the supermarkets and all the food that you could possibly want. The problem in Nigeria, West Africa, is not that the parents made some bad financial decisions and they decided to spend the money on this instead of that. It's like there literally is no food. So there's no food to give the children. It's literally a place where there's absolutely no food. So when the little one at the table says, I'm thankful for mac and cheese, they're hitting it right on the head. We spend a lot of our time living out on the right side of this diagram. We have so much to consume. And we don't realize how blessed we are. But Job said on his most worst, very bad day, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He worshiped. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. So is your second chance. Is anyone here blessed? Can the church say, I am blessed? I am blessed. Okay, think I now we're ready to jump into Malachi chapter 3. 
We pick up in verses 6 and 7. We've been working through Malachi. And the Lord says, speaking through his prophet, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Now, as we've seen in the first two chapters that we've, we've worked through in Malachi these past few weeks, this is the message to God's people, to Israel. He, the prophet has given them a tongue lashing. We saw in chapter 1 that the way they're, they're um, bringing offerings is atrocious. They've been taught to bring the best of their flock for an offering. And they're bringing the worst of their flock. They're bringing the blemished animals. We saw in chapter 2, he talks about their, um, he talks about divorce, but he's talking about focusing on loyalty. He said, where is your loyalty to your God, to your family, to your wife? It was focusing on loyalty. And here we're going to jump in and he's talking about, you know, their, their offerings, their tithing. Because in this, in this society, their social law and their moral law are together. It's one. They're one religious law. So if they're breaking God's law, if they're breaking their religious laws, they're breaking the laws of, the, of their land. So their, their laws were all very much intertwined. And their teaching was... That, that, you, that you tithe. You bring this offering, you bring your tithe, your 10%. I do want to point out that again, as he said, this is, he says, you descendants of Jacob. So he's talking to his people. And I want to make this perfectly clear to anyone that's listening, that this is a message for his people. So if you have not accepted the Lord as your Savior, you don't want to jump in and say, oh, well, they had this sermon, I need to give more, and then I'll be all right with God. Martin Luther would be very upset with me if that's what you came out of this meeting with as, as your perspective. So I want to make that clear. When we talked about offerings in chapter 1, we talked about bringing that spotless lamb, or a spotless animal, without blemish, to be sacrificed, the blood poured out and sacrificed for the sin. And that was the offering. You must understand Jesus Christ was our perfect offering, the gift from God, sacrificed for us, lived a sinless life. He was spotless, without blemish. And he died for our sins. That's what we preach here. You must understand that first. So if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, that's the part of the sermon for you. Don't worry about the tithing and the, of the tithing, because first you must come to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. Now, if you've done that, then the rest of the message is for us. As we say, descendants of Jacob, he is talking to his people in that time, and through Christ's blood, those of us who call ourselves by his name, Christ, Christians, the rest of this also applies to us. So as we jump in, let's continue down in verse 8. Remember, this is a lot of correction going on here in Malachi, right before God comes on the scene in the form of Christ, when we flip over the pages to Matthew. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse because you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. The problem they had was basically disobedience. Again, their social law 
and their religious law were, were intertwined. So they were instructed to tithe, to bring in a tenth part. And so what, what was it for? Because God doesn't need anything. God is complete in and out of himself. Now let's understand again the type of society we're talking about. An agricultural society where, like Job, many of them had livestock, and others would plant and sow and reap. So it's agricultural society. But there was one part of their whole society, the Levites, whose job it was to lead the people in worship, to actually perform the sacrifices, perform the ceremonies, take care of the tabernacle. So they didn't have time to work the fields or to raise cattle or tend to their own livestock. So part of this tithe would be their portion. And it's their own cousins. You know, they're all, this is all a family, the family of Israel. So it's their own cousins who are dedicated their time to the leading in worship. And so they would need to be sustained somehow. In a similar fashion to in today, we have people who will dedicate their lives to serving in, in ministry. You know, you have pastors, senior pastors, you have um, a wide variety of people, a lot variety of functions, even outside of the church. People who choose to be missionaries, people who work for nonprofit organizations that are spreading God's word or giving a hand to a brother or sister, an orphan, a widow, um, in the name of Jesus Christ. So part of your tithe can go to support all of these ministries. It doesn't have to be just within the four walls of your local church or, or synagogue or tabernacle or chapel. So we understand, if we understand that society structure and understand that the, the Levites and the role of the church, just like here, we have, you know, we have to pay an electric bill just like anybody else. You know, if we need a roof, if we need appliances in the, in the kitchen, that money has to come from somewhere. And in those days, that money was support the work of the, ta- the temple, the tabernacle, but also the Levites. And as you continue in that passage, he also talks about the storehouses must be full because there was no social security. So for a time that you had a poor harvest or any other need, widows, orphans, you had to have a storehouse where you saved up. If you remember Joseph, how did Joseph become famous? He interpreted the dream of Pharaoh. He said there's going to be seven years of plenty and there's seven years of famine. And the famine will be so bad, those skinny cows in the dream, that you won't remember how good the good years were. So it was good diligence to put away something in the storehouse. And that's what the Lord God is telling the people. It's like, there's a reason I tell you to do these things. And in love, we need you to obey. And that's why the whole Malachi book was giving them a tongue lashing. Because they're not responding properly to the God of their fathers. They call him Lord God, Jehovah, Yahweh, God of my fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt. They have all these things, these flowery terms they use for God. But when it comes down to them, they don't obey. Now, sometimes when it comes to us, you look at the tithe and say, well, but I earned that and I need it, you know. That's my money. I went and worked for it. I'm the one that has to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, you know, get on the road or the traffic and commute and deal with the boss and these coworkers and these horrible customers. Like, I'm the one doing this. And I'm the one who went to school and got the degrees, right, or went to the tech school and got the training so that I know how to do this. I can do this work with my eyes closed, you know. It's all me. I'm doing that. And, you know, in the end of Job, Job gets a tongue lashing from the Lord when he said, hey, man, where were you when I made the universe? You want to give somebody some advice? Hey, where were we? Did we make our own brain? The own, if we're a knowledge worker, 
Did we figure out how to make that brain work so that we can do the job that we do that brings the income into our family? If we're someone that's trained with a craft, did we create and invent muscle memory so that we can do our job so well that we're a top journeyman, that we're sought after and we have the high billing rate? Self-made man? I don't think so. All right? God puts the breath in us. He constructed us. He figured out all those neural pathways, neural networks, and all that other stuff that makes us able to work. The tithe is 10%. Jesus told the story of a ruler that went to a faraway land, and he called his, um, his servants, and to one he gave five minas, a unit of, of measure of money. To one he gave two, and the third he gave one. You know, a lot of times we talk about the one with the one. But look at what they did when the master came back. The one who had five, was given five, how many did he bring to the master at the end? He brought ten. He said, here's what you gave me, and here's the increase, and all of it is yours. So when I was a little boy growing up in New York City, there was a song that we were singing, say, all to Jesus I surrender. Remember that? All to thee, my precious Savior, I surrender all. The servant that had the two minas, he brought the other two that he had gained, he doubled, and he brought the four back to the master. Because it was all the masters. And the one who had one, we like to give him a hard time, but the one he had, he gave it back to the master. He said, this is yours. So all of those servants took what the master gave them, even though they were able to multiply it, they understood it all belongs back to the master and brought it back, put it in the master's hands. Would a man rob God? How are you robbing me in your tithes? In that story, depending on the translation you use, those um, units of money are also called talents, which is fortunate for me because I'd like to also talk about that. We just had our worship team here using their talents to help us worship the Lord. Last month, we had two men introduced to the church as deacons, using their skills in administration, finance, negotiation. I've, I've been in some of those meetings. You know, but they're going to use these skills, these talents, that yes, they use them to make money in the workplace, but they're going to bring them here and also use those talents in the service of the Lord. Right now, while we're in here, there's somebody leading children's church. Someone is teaching. We can, you can hear me, you can hear the worship team, you can see me, because we have an audio-visual team. And again, not just within the walls of this church, a city like Houston a country like ours, and even overseas. There's so many places you can use your skills and talents that you may use to make an income for yourself, and you could also use it to the Lord's service. So find those opportunities. It just takes time, and that's my third T. So we got tithes, we got your talents, and we got time. And when you take time, it doesn't have to be a complicated Endeavor that say, well, I don't have the skills and those talents of some of these people. Like you talk about um, deacons and um, missionaries and musicians and teachers. 
But maybe you take some time. And we have break time and we have those um, the snacks during refreshments. Somebody has to put them out there. Somebody has to pick up the trash. We're just taking time. Time to talk to your neighbor about Christ. We've had some brothers talk about, and they go on their morning walk, and they just have a time and opportunity to talk to a neighbor about Jesus Christ. It just takes a little time. Even Jesus, I mean, he's my perfect example. In all his ministry, there were times that he would separate from the people, separate from his disciples, and just have some one-on-one time with God the Father. So how much time do we put aside for Jesus our King to worship and connect with our Father? So we have these opportunities, again, so not just our time, but also our talent and also our time. We can use all this to the glory of God for his service. I'm going to jump back in right now. Malachi chapter 3, verse um, 11 and 12. We're going to pick up at 10. Will we go through 10 again? Because I want to connect these where we talk about overflowing the storehouse. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, and you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord in this chapter, in this section, is encouraging his people just to obey. You know, the purpose of the storehouse is to have an abundance so that when you need it, it's there. This was the time before, you know, we had irrigation systems and fertilizer. So think about it. If you go and plant in the field and you sow your seed and you do it properly, you know, what comes next? You may, you may have to pull a few weeds, but at some point there's a harvest. But what happens all in between? There's nothing we as humans do for that whole part in between. He talks about the devourer will not come, the locust. We remember when they left Egypt, the locust came and cleaned everything out. That was God working one way. Now he's saying, I'll keep the locusts from coming. Sunshine and rain, that's a farmer's dream, but you have no control over any of that. God is saying, your obedience, my child, who doesn't love an obedient child? He says, your obedience means I will take my part of the partnership serious. Seriously. I will keep away the, the locust, the devourer. I will bring the rain. I'll bring the sunshine so you have an abundant crops. I mean, that's the whole purpose of farming. But that's the part you have absolutely no control over. But God is saying, that's where I step in. He says, you're obedient. You do what I'm asking you to. Your response in love is obedience. And he says, hey, I'll take care of the God part. That's an awesome partnership. God takes care of his part. We plant, and at the end, we have a bountiful harvest. The part that's important is the last part. You know, we talk about blessing, and I think it's important because there was, there was some misguidance in the, in the latter parts of the 20th century. You know, we would name it and claim it, and we want to be blessed. But in verse 12, the blessings are for God's benefit. 
He says, I want the word to go out and people will call you blessed. But blessed why? Because they know my name. And people knew about Israel. But when Israel was good, when Israel was good, they couldn't be beaten. They would be outnumbered and outmanned and they would still have victory. The Lord would throw confusion into enemy's camp and they would go kill each other and the Israelites show up. All they have to do is pick the plunder. That's God working on your side. That's a winning partnership when they obeyed. Now, this was a time when every country had their own gods. And so if they would hear about the God of Israel giving them victory and everything, giving them a blessed land, that's only bringing praise and benefit to God's name. That's helping the lands around him know, oh, that's the one true God. Those folks from Israel, they have the true and living God. If you go over there, you don't see any statues and you don't see any groves or any poles or anything. You have tabernacles where they go to worship and they sacrifice, but you don't actually see their God because he's the invisible God. But they knew he was real. They knew Israel had the real God because he was mighty in powerful ways. It was demonstrated by how he blessed his people. So when we're blessed, it's not blessing for us to waste it on ourselves and waste on our own consumption. But it's for the Lord's service, for the Lord's name to be known and for his work to be done. So that's why supporting all these types of ministries, you get you get two thumbs up because that's that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants his word to go out. So why? So more can know his love and know the Jesus that we come to love and serve. And they can be pulled from the, from the pathway of hell and put onto that stairway to heaven. So that's the purpose. It's not blessings for us to consume with, with, with private jets and expensive vacations. I mean, those things are nice. It's good to relax sometimes. But the purpose is to reinforce the power of God and what he can do. You know, we've given a lot of agricultural examples and I think sometimes that's lost sometimes on a, on a 21st century audience. So I'd like to talk to you about a guy named Laterno. Now, there's a school here in the great state of Texas named Laterno University. It's a Christian school and started by a very rich, 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 rich man. You know, when people get rich, they realize at some point, hey, I've got more money than I know what to do with, more than I can spend in a lifetime. So they become philanthropists, and many of them do this. But Laterno was a philanthropist in Jesus' name that he would give to you know, ministries and others that were doing the work of God. And he still had enough left over that he started a university, Christian university. So here's a quote um, I got from Letourneau. Can you put that up there? He said, I shovel out the money, God shovels it back. But God's got a bigger shovel. It's been said that Aaron, sometimes in his career, he was giving away 90% of his income. He was giving away 90%. And he couldn't keep up with God keep shoveling the blessings back. Now again, it's not to be confused with a message that says, hey, well, just give and the Lord will just bless you. He'll bless you as he wants to. But he wants your heart to be in the right place. So the eternal didn't always start out rich. He started out like an ordinary person, had to go to school and get an education and all those type of things. But throughout his life, if you read up on him, he always gave. He was always a generous person. And so the Lord already knew his heart. So well, this is a generous guy. If I give to him, he's going to keep distributing it out to, to do my work. And so that's what he did. You know, it's, it's a big investment to, to start a university. But he said, this is, this is what needs to be done. And I've been blessed. 
and I want to continue to bless future generations by allowing them to get a Christian education. A lot, a lot of the other stuff that schools like to throw in there when you're trying to get a higher education, and you come out, you know, they, they'll reinforce your faith. Let's just say that. They'll reinforce your faith if you go to a Christian university. So now I'd like to give you a visual of Letourneau in this last slide. So this is the shovel. I don't know if you can see it, but there's a 53-yard on the side of that shovel. There's a man standing next to it. Now, that's a, that's a big shovel. When you see a dump truck driving down the street in front of you and it's in the way and it's in traffic, that truck carries 10 yards. So just keep that number in your head. 10 yards. This shovel is 53. So, there's five, so if you had one of those trucks and say, hey, this is my blessing truck, you're going to fill that up. You've got to dump out that blessing somewhere. Because you got more coming. You get rid of that 10, you got 43 more coming. So I want you to keep that as a visual in your mind. Every time you see a dump truck on the road, I want you to think about that. You've got to do something with all those blessings that you already have. Because there's some more coming. Now the thing is though, that's not God's shovel. That's Laterno Shovel. That's a L2350. Laterno L2350. That's his shovel. So imagine trying to shovel the blessings out with something that size. And God's got a bigger shovel and he's still shoveling all those blessings back in. And you're trying to work with something like this and he's just overwhelming you with blessing. So don't be afraid of this concept of tithing. It's our response and obedience to the love and the blessing that the Lord has already shown us. You know, we've seen that sometimes we, um, for those of you taking notes, this is the speed round. We've seen that sometimes we think we need large blessings to think that we're blessed. But just think of the little kids at the end of the table at Thanksgiving, just thankful for mom, just thankful for mac and cheese. Now I live in a gluten-free house. So I'm actually thankful when I see mac and cheese. (laughs) We talked about our tithing. But also think about how you can use your talent. You know, the the drum set here sits empty. I know there's a young man here who likes likes playing drums. We, We need others to jump into the ministry. You know, we need a rotation so that, you know, the same folks don't have to do it every week. They can actually get a break. But beyond the walls of just this church, where else can you use your talent? There's so, again, a city like Houston, there's so many opportunities that we can help the widows, the orphans, those down on their luck. Right? We're so blessed with all those opportunities, and, and, and we can jump in and do something there. And with our time, even Christ, our example, took his time to take some time to just be alone with the Lord. We have, we have that time. If we you know, get off of social media, swap some of that time out for God time. Seriously. And we talked about just the obedience. God loves obedient children just like any parent. He calls us his dear children. He loves obedient children. And he wants to open the floodgates and pour out the blessings on us. But again, not blessings for our own sake. Blessings just like Laternal. That you try shoveling that out and blessing everyone else that you can because of how he's blessed you. In Jesus' name, let them know the source of the blessing. 
And then when somebody asks you if you're blessed, you can say, I'm blessed. Can somebody in the church say, I am blessed? I'm blessed. Let us pray. Our Father God, we just come before you and we thank you for this time. And we think about all that you've done going into this Thanksgiving season. We all have something to be thankful for. You know, whether we're at Friendsgiving or Thanksgiving, there's people there that, that love us. There's people there that we love. Help us to be like the little ones, just thankful for the little things. It's not always the big job, the big promotion, the big opportunity. But just like Job, we still have breath in our lungs, something to be thankful for. Another day that we can live to praise you. Keep these thoughts in our mind and our hearts as we depart from here. In your precious name we pray, Lord. Amen.